You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're starting a new series based on the New Testament book of 1 Peter called Exiles in Hope. And let me start by asking you this question. How many of you were born somewhere other than the New York City area? I know we got some locals in the house, but just by a show of hands, how many of you were born somewhere other than the New York City area? I see a lot of hands going up. Yeah, so many of us were born in a different city, a different state, even a different nation. And I know those of you who are born and raised here, you don't quite understand this, but for those of us who moved here, when you first move here, you kind of have to learn how to live here. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, for example, you got to learn how to pay rent here. Hello. I remember when, when we first started looking at apartments almost 10 years ago, we're like, oh my gosh, what does it cost to live there? Like, God, are you sure you called us to Westchester? Is this the right place? You got to learn how to drive here. How many of you know when you first moved to New York, it's like taking your life into your own hands every time you get behind the wheel, right? And then after a few years of living here, you, you go other places and everybody seems so slow. You know, I'll go visit family in, in New Orleans or Buffalo and what we do see our family and the, the light turns green. It's like, let's go people, come on, let's get moving. You gotta learn how to park here, right? Those of you who moved up from the city, you're like, what are you talking about? There's so much parking in Westchester. Listen, we came from Buffalo where there's just like parking in every direction, just miles of parking. Like you can never assume there's a parking spot even here in Westchester. You got to learn how to navigate Grand Central and the subway. Hello for those of you who work in the city, right? Got to make sure you get on the train, the right train. Got to navigate through the crowds of people. You might get attacked by a rat. (laughs) I remember when we first moved to New York, I went to the subway one time. I saw a rat so big, I thought it was Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, he's real. It's him. (laughs) I saw a rat dragging a piece of pizza through the subway one time. That is like as New York as it gets, right? Rat dragging a piece of pizza, pizza. Like that is so New York. <laughs> you got to learn how to walk down the streets here without getting trampled. But here's the good news. If you stay here long enough, for those of you who just moved here, after a while you get acclimated and then you get to trample the tourists. You get to be that person. <laughs> All right, here's the whole point. When you move to New York, you have to learn how, how to live here. Now, today we're going to begin teaching through the New Testament book of 1 Peter, which is actually a letter that the apostle Peter wrote to Christians living in the Roman Empire. And he writes this letter to encourage them, to encourage the believers believers how to live out their faith. And here's the theme of, of the letter. Essentially, Peter's saying, you're citizens of heaven, but I want you to learn how to live here. I want you to learn how to live out your faith well. Like ultimately you're citizens of the kingdom of God, but I want you to flourish here. I want you to thrive here. I want you to live well here on planet earth. Here's a good prayer to pray. God, give me wisdom to live in this world like heaven is my home. To live in this world as if heaven is my home. In fact, there was an old spiritual, an old song by Jim Reeves that that said, uh, heaven is my home, right? Heaven is my, I'm just a passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Now, I'm not talking about escapism and just praying that God will get us out of here, but I'm talking about living in the reality that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Living in the reality that, that we belong 
to God, even as we journey through this world and this life. And so let me give you a little context of 1 Peter. The apostle Peter is writing to Christians who are scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor, and he calls them exiles. In the NIV, it says they're exiles. Other translations say foreigners, sojourners. In other words, people temporarily residing on earth, but whose home is ultimately in heaven. And many of these believers, they were marginalized, and Christianity was doing nothing to improve that. In fact, only the opposite. It wasn't necessarily helping them climb the the socioeconomic status. And many of these believers were experiencing intense suffering and persecution. They were living during the reign of the evil emperor Nero, who, who oppressed Christians. Okay, you can go study the history of this. They were living during a time when it was not easy to be a believer. Now, we might not be experiencing the same level of persecution as these suffering Christians were. But hey, every one of us is going through something. Every one of us is facing some challenge in life. Every one of us is trying to to live out our faith in this life, going through this journey. And so I believe over the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit's gonna have something for each one of us that's gonna help us as we live out our journey as exiles in hope, as followers of Jesus living in in this world that we find ourselves living in. So we're gonna jump right into it. I wanna encourage you to be reading with us. Uh, Whenever we go through a book of the Bible, usually during the summertime, we teach you a book of the Bible. I wanna encourage you to be reading along with us, okay? So this week you can be reading 1 Peter uh, chapter one. We're gonna be in chapter one today. We're gonna come back to it next week. And many of you are in a life group. Some of you, your life group is gonna be studying this this, uh, series together as a group. And I wanna encourage you to get the most out of it by reading along with us, okay? So there you go. You got your summer reading assignment. First Peter chapter one, let's get into it. Verses one through two. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter calls them exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Now, who were these people? These were people living, as I said, throughout various provinces Asia in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey today. And many of these people were present on the day of Pentecost. If you remember, in Acts chapter 2, Peter himself gets up full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out. He preaches the best sermon of his life. 3,000 people come to faith and get baptized that day, and the church is born. And when we read in Acts chapter 2, many of the people from these provinces were present on the very day that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So these are the people he's writing to. We know that the Apostle Paul also preached in this region of the world. And so Peter begins his letter by reminding these Christians of who they are in Christ. Here's the big idea today, church. How you live is determined by knowing who you are. Can I say that again so it just begins to get into our spirit today? How you live is determined by knowing who you are. Remember, these Christians, they were facing challenges, difficulties, suffering, persecution. They were being socially marginalized. And the first thing that the apostle Peter does is he begins to remind them of who they are in Christ. I wanna give you today three things that you need to know in order to get through whatever you're going through. 
Come on, I know in a room this size and with people watching online, uh, there are many needs in this place. I'm aware this morning of people we're praying for, different family members in our church who are going through difficult things, sick loved ones, going through divorce, financial struggles, relational brokenness. We've all just got challenges, stuff happening in our homes, our marriages, our, our careers. I wanna give you three things you need to know today in order to help you get through what you're going through. And if you're not going through something right now, Praise God, at some point in time, we're all gonna go through something and maybe God wants to use us to encourage someone else. Here, here's the first thing you gotta know. Number one, you gotta know where you came from. You gotta know where you came from. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about your origin story. I'm talking about your, your backstory. Peter reminds these believers that he's writing to of who they are and, and how they got here in the first place. He says, I want you to remember who you are in Christ and just how you got here in the first place. Look at this again, verse one and two. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Come on, you gotta remember your backstory. You gotta, you gotta remember where you came from. How can you know where you're going if you've forgotten where you came from? Peter says, you gotta get some perspective. I know you're going through some challenges right now, but I want, I want you to remember how you even got here in the first place. Let me ask you this. Have you ever run into an old friend, maybe somebody you've known for years, maybe somebody you grew up with, and you had this sense like they've forgotten where they came from? Like maybe they were just a little bit too impressed with themselves and their accomplishments and their career and how much money they had. And you were thinking to yourself, man, I knew you way back when. Like I knew you before you had anything. You know what I'm talking about? A couple of months ago, I was in Atlanta visiting my, my brother, John, my little brother, and uh, my high school best friend, Kyle, he lives in that area now. And so we got to hang out. We had a little reunion. And when we get together, like we revert back to like being 16 years old. It's amazing. Okay. We tell the same stories. Amy will tell you, we tell the same stories. We laugh at the same jokes. Okay. My brother had, an, had a, uh, one of these Nintendo consoles where you can play all the old Nintendo games. We were playing Nintendo. We were jamming some nineties music. We were teaching my net, nieces and nephews, all of our best nineties dance floors, dance floor moves that we perfected in the high school cafeteria. Okay. We had a blast. All right. And when, when I was hanging out with my friend, Kyle, you have to realize like, I'm, you know, he respects me as a pastor. He's a believer. But when I went, when I'm with him, I am not pastor Jeremy. Okay. I am like that 16 year old guy that he grew up with. Like he is never going to let me forget where I came from. Right. And you need people like that in your life. They kind of keep you, keep you humble. Who are you? The apostle Peter reminds you of who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to these phrases that he uses to describe the believers. And I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this applies to us today. Here's who you are. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is what Bible scholars call divine election, when he used that word elect. In other words, this is the idea that God somehow, according to his sovereign will, he chose you. Before the foundations of the world, he saw you and he chose you. And some people, they get caught up in theological debates like, are we saved by God's sovereignty or according to our own free will? But to me, 
it kind of misses the point that, that God chose us. God desired to have a family and he saw you and he chose you. We can focus so much on the how, how he did it, that we miss out on what God has done. Here's the good news, church. Before you ever had a sin problem, God already had a solution in place. Before you ever sinned, before you ever failed, before you ever f- f- fell short of the glory of God, he had a salvation plan in process. He had a salvation plan plan planned out for you. He, he saw you from the very beginning. And then here's what Paul says. You're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What is sanctification? Sanctification is simply the process by which we're set apart from sin and we're set apart to God's purpose for our lives. This is the, the, this is the outworking of salvation. This is the process by which we're being, becoming more like Jesus over time. You might say, Pastor Jeremy, I don't feel a whole, like, a whole lot like Jesus today. I'm struggling with some sin. You know, I'm losing my temper. I got some habits. I got some things I'm dealing with. Well, I've got good news for you today. You are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. The person sitting next to you, just turn to them and tell them you're a work in progress. Come on, some of y'all need to remind them, like definitely. Some of y'all sit next to your spouse. You're like, yeah, you are definitely a work in progress, right? We're all in process being made more like Jesus. So Peter says, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. In other words, Peter says, what was the point of God choosing you and sanctifying you? It was so that you could become obedient to Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. He says, you're literally sprinkled with his blood. Now that sounds a little bit odd to us, but this is a little bit of Old Testament imagery, okay? The priest when they would sacrifice in the Old Testament, they would often sprinkle some of the blood on the altar as a symbol that the people were cleansed. In fact, Moses in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when he received the 10 commandments in order to ratify the new covenant that God had given the people, he literally sprinkled them with the blood. This is a picture of the new covenant that we have, the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. And I love this this phrase that you're saved to obedience, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Because I think sometimes we need a reminder that we didn't become Christians so that God could serve us, but so that we could serve God. I think a lot of times we hear about the blessings of a relationship with God, salvation and healing and forgiveness and freedom. And yes, we should thank God for those things. There are many blessings that come to us in Christ, but we need to be reminded that, that we, we weren't saved so that God could serve us, so that, but so that we could serve him. And this is really important because if you get this backwards, you'll be tempted to throw in the towel when things don't go your way. Listen to me. I deal with this all the time. People come to me. There's this sense of like, sometimes they, they say it right out and sometimes they kind of don't say it, but people are going through something and there's kind of this sense of pastor Jeremy, I'm not so sure this Christianity thing is working out for me. I'm not so sure that this faith thing is working out for me because I'm still going through difficulties. I'm still going through some challenges. I'm still experiencing some problems. And so if you don't get this right, you will be tempted to throw in the towel every time things don't quite work out your way. But if you recognize that you were saved to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then that changes the way you see your circumstances. 
That changes the way you see what you're, what you're going through because you recognize, like, I didn't just, I didn't come into a relationship with God so that he would be like a genie in the bottle and I would rub the lamp and get three wishes and everything would be great and all my problems would go away. But no, I was saved to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the posture of our hearts becomes like this. God, I don't understand the plan, but I'm submitted to your plan. I'm submitted to your will. I'm trusting that you are a good, loving God and your plan is better than mine. I'm under your lordship so I can trust in you. And that'll get you through some stuff. That'll get you through some circumstances. And Peter is saying, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that sustains you. The benefits of what Christ did on the cross. That's what sets you free. That's what cleanses you from sin. He's saying to these believers, I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember that how you got here in the first place, it was only by the grace of God. It was only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, what saved you will sustain you. Come on, what saved you will sustain you. The one who gave his life for you is the one who will keep you. And you might say, I don't feel strong enough. It was never about your strength in the first place. I don't feel good enough. It was never about your good works in the first place. It was was by his grace, by his mercy, by his love, by his sacrifice on the cross for you. You got to remember who you are. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. That is the most important thing about you, not how much money you have, not your, your, your job title, not your socioeconomic status. These are people who were, who were being marginalized in the world they were living in. And Peter says, you gotta remember, you are a child of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number two, we're talking about knowing who we are so you can get through whatever it is you're going through. Here's what you gotta know. You gotta know number two, you gotta know what's sustaining you. You got to know what's sustaining you. Look at verses three through five. Peter writes this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Come on, everybody say a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He's talking about at the time when Jesus returns and your salvation is made complete. Peter says you have to know what's sustaining you. You got to know what's sustaining you. And Peter tells us what it is. Let's look at it again in verse 2. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, a hope that is alive, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you got to remember these Christians that Peter is writing to, they were experiencing intense persecution, intense suffering, and you cannot get through that kind of suffering without hope, without a real hope. There's no way you can get through something like that without a hope. Here's what I've discovered. But if you have hope, you can get through just about anything. I have discovered that in life. If you got hope, you can get through just about anything. And you know, this reminds me of the writings of Dr. Viktor Frankl. Some of you have heard of me share about him before. Uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl, he was a Jewish 
Austrian psychiatrist who lived during World War II, who, who experienced the Nazi death camps, the concentration camps. In fact, he spent time in the infamous Auschwitz and lost many of his friends and family. And as a psychiatrist, he had this profound insight. This was a guy who did psychotherapy. He had profound insight on what was happening in the concentration camps as he observed people, as people came to him. And, and he, he basically noticed the difference. He observed the difference between those who survived the concentration camps and those who didn't. And he, what he learned essentially was that what made the difference was, was hope, those who held on to hope. He basically said that life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that, that suffering and death cannot destroy. And he said this in his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. He said, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Isn't that powerful? He said, those who have a why to live, those who have a hope that transcends their circumstances, they can bear almost any how. I mean, stop and think about this. This is a man who saw unthinkable suffering, unthinkable tragedy, unthinkable injustice and death and torture all around him. And what he found is that if someone has a hope that is transcendent, that is beyond their circumstances, that will keep you, that will, that will hold you. Here's what I want you to understand today, church. The real foundation of your personality is what you're living for. The real foundation of your personality is, is what you're living for, your hope, your future. And so let me ask you this question today. Have an honest moment in church today. Like, what's the ultimate hope of your heart? What's the ultimate hope of your heart? See, it's really natural for us to hope in things that can be taken away from us. To, to, hope in our, to place our hope in our health, our family, our finances, our relationship, our career. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but at some point in time, all of those things will eventually be taken away from us. Those living in a concentration camp, they were just taken all, from them all at one time. But if you live long enough on this planet, eventually you're going to get older and your health will deteriorate. Eventually, you're going to lose. If you live long enough, you will lose relationships. People will move away. Family members will pass away. Eventually, your career, it won't define you. You're going to, your career is going to change. Your career is going to come to an end. Your financial situation may change. Eventually, church, wake-up call, those things are going to be taken away from every one of us. And so Peter said, you have to have a hope that transcends those things. You got to have a hope that transcends those things. And here's the good news, church. We have a hope. We have a living hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That sustains us a real hope. This is one of my favorite verses to share at Easter time. Because if we really believe what we profess to believe, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he conquered even death, man, that just gives me so much hope. That is a living hope that is alive, that not even the grave can take away my hope. If Jesus really did what we profess to believe that he did, it changes everything. That is a hope that cannot be taken away from you. That is a living hope. And look at this in verse 6 through 7. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter tells us because of this living hope that we have, you're filled with rejoicing even at the same time as you're suffering. 
And I know we hear that at first, and that doesn't seem logical. It seems like it's either or, right? Like you're either rejoicing or you're suffering. And Peter says, because of this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it's possible to actually experience rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. You see, for most people, joy is tied to circumstances. All the things we talked about before, health and and good relationships and success at work. Like for most people, that is the source of their joy. But Peter tells us new birth into a living hope that changes everything because your your joy is no longer based on your circumstances. It is based on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's no longer based on your circumstances. It's a joy that transcends your circumstances because it's based on the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you. As Peter says in verse four, he says it's, it's an inheritance. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Church, it is utterly guaranteed. It is kept for you in heaven. It's like a heavenly trust fund. Come on, what is a trust fund? A trust fund often when someone wants to leave something, right? maybe to their family, to their children, they put that inheritance in a trust where it is legally protected until the day when that inheritance is passed on to those who are waiting for it, right? How many of you would love to get a message from a long lost relative that you didn't even know who was really wealthy? Hey, I got good news for you. I've set up a trust fund for you. And in 10 years, you're gonna be able to tap into that and your life is gonna be totally different. How many of you would say, well, that would give me some hope. (laughs) That would change things, right? I've only got to work for a few more years, whatever. I can persevere because I have a present deposit of a future hope. Peter says you've got a present deposit of a future hope that is to come, that is kept for you in heaven. Nothing can touch it. It can't be diminished. You can't lose it. Like God is holding on to, the Father is holding on to the gift of salvation for you and it's kept in heaven. If you can get a hold of this truth, it'll change the way you experience just about everything, just about anything. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of our, our dear brother, Dave Serrano, who used to play on the worship team here. Many of you know he passed away a few months ago, uh, died of, of cancer. And I'll never forget going to visit Dave in the hospital when he had first gotten the news of this terminal cancer. And I remember him saying to me, Pastor, I have peace. I have peace. And I thought to myself, you can't put a price tag on that. You cannot put, how many people, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much success you have, how many of you know you can't put a price tag on that kind of peace to get that kind of news and to be able to say, I have peace and I can trust in God. That is a picture of what we're talking about, right? A hope, a living hope that transcends our circumstances because we have a gift, we have a promise, we have a hope that is secure in heaven. That'll get you through some stuff. That'll get you through some circumstances. Here's the third thing you have to know. We're talking about what do we need to know to get through what we're going through. The people that Peter was writing to, they were going through some stuff. You and me, we go through some stuff in this life. Here's what you need to know. Number three, you got to know your end result. You got to know the end result. Look at verses eight and nine. He says, though you have not seen him, he's talking about Jesus Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, hold on there for a second. We can relate to that, can't we? Because Peter, he had seen Jesus. He had walked with Jesus and ministered with Jesus for three years. But this was the second generation of Christians, of believers like you and me, who trusted in Jesus, hoped in Jesus, believed in Jesus, although they had never seen him with their own eyes. Look at this, verse nine. He said, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls, the end result, the end result. You, you got to know the end result. Here's what Peter's saying. In this life, suffering is inevitable. I want you to know that. Just because you're going through something doesn't mean you're doing this Christianity thing wrong. Doesn't mean God is out to get you. Doesn't mean God has orchestrated these things in your life. We live in a fallen, broken world that is not as God designed it to be. It's under the curse of sin. And so we go through stuff. We hurt. We experience loss. We experience suffering. And Peter says suffering may be your reality here and now, but salvation is our reality in the future. Suffering may describe what you're going through right now, but he says, hold on to hope. Remember the end game. Remember the end result because, because salvation is your reality in the future. You know, as I think about this, I'm reminded of my days in high school when I used to run distance. For two years, I ran cross country in high school and I wasn't the best at it, but I had a group of buddies that wanted to do it together. And so we ran three mile races in the heat and humidity of South Louisiana. <laughs> it was painful and and we did, my coach, was, she was a really great coach. We actually did speed work one day a week. You say, well, why would you do that when cross country is long distance, right? It's an endurance race. Because our coach had a strategy. She knew that when other teams were tired during the home stretch, she knew that was our best opportunity to pick up as many places as we could. And so she wanted us to finish strong. So we would go to the track and we would do speed work for one day a week to get us ready. And I'll never forget, I can still visualize it to this day, there was this there was this spot in the course where you would come around a turn and you would see the finish line off in the distance. And at that point in time, I was always tired. I was hot. I had cramps in my side. I had been running for three miles at a, at a quick pace and just exhausted. And I would see the finish line. You could see the clock. You could see where you were. And when I would see that finish line, you know what would happen is I would begin to realize in just a few minutes, I'm going to be out of this pain. <laughs> I'm going to be sitting under that oak tree over there in the shade. I'm going to be drinking some cold water, right? I'm not going to be hurting anymore. The cramps are going to go away. I'm going to get something cold to drink. And I would remember my coaching and I would see the finish line and it would motivate me. And I would kick into gear. And some of you who have been a runner before, you know this, there's a runner's high that you ex experience. I would kick that thing into like the next gear, fifth gear. I would start passing people up, start picking up places. I would finish strong. Why? Because I remembered the end result. Like I'm about to finish my race strong. I'm about to pick up a few places here. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to finish my race. Come on, I came to church to encourage somebody today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I don't know what's causing you to feel weary and tired, but can I just encourage you today? Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. I love what Peter says. I love what the apostle Paul says. He says in 2 Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. The temporary things of this life that we're going through, but what is unseen is eternal. God, we, God, we, we, we turn our eyes to you. We keep our focus on you. Jesus, we're keeping our eyes focused on you, knowing that you are working out your plan, knowing that you are working out your process of sanctification, salvation in us. You're conforming us. You're molding us. You're shaping us into your very image to make us more like you. And there is a hope for us in living hope. There is a reward for us that is kept in heaven. And so how you live is determined by knowing who you are. 
Church, I wanna remind you of who you are today. You are a child of God. His hand is upon you. His presence is with you. He gave his one and only son for you. He shed his blood on the cross for you, to redeem you, to save you, to bring you into his family. And so no matter what you're going through, remember, know where you came from. Remember that if God got you this far, he's not gonna abandon you. God is the one who brought you this far. He's not gonna abandon you. Being a child of God is what defines you more than anything else. I want you to know what sustains you. It's a living hope. It's not a hope based on your circumstances. It's a hope based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if God can do that, come on church, lean in for a moment. If God can do that, he can do anything. God is in the business of raising dead things to life. And I want you to know your end result. Remember your end result. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, something is kept in heaven for you. Promise that it is to come. And we have a present deposit of a future hope that carries us through those times when this world isn't making any sense to us. Amen. So would you stand with me this morning as we take a moment to pray? And that's our prayer today is God help us to remember who we are. We're your children, we're your people, we're your family, we're your church. Would you just pray with me today? Would you bow your head today? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your troubles are. I don't know what your challenges are today, but here's what I know. We serve a loving, heavenly Father. He sees you today. He's with you today. I'm so thankful for his presence in this place today. And come on, we're gonna pray today. God, help us to remember who we are. God, we're your children, we're your sons, we're your daughters, we're your people. God, we thank you that before we ever had a problem, God, you had a solution. God, before we ever encountered our sin problem, you already had a plan of salvation. You saw us from eternity, from the foundations of this world. And Lord, today we thank you that we have a living hope. It's not a hope that's changed by our circumstances. It's not a hope that's determined by whether things are going good or bad, but it's based on the fact that Jesus, you are alive. And because you are alive, our hope is alive today. It's a living hope. Father, today I'm praying for every person who's going through something today, some difficulty, anxiety, depression, worry, doubt, fear, relational stress, financial stress. God, we thank you today for a living hope. We thank you that we have a present deposit of a future hope that is held for us in heaven and nothing can shake it. Nothing can change it. Nothing can take it away from us. Father, I'm praying for every person in this place that they would be sustained by it, by your presence, by your hope today. Father, give us a glimpse of the future. Father, give us a glimpse of the finish line. When we finish our race one day, we hear the words, well done, a good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you that we can hold on to that today. And now as we're praying today, I wanna pray for the person in this place who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I wanna have that kind of relationship with God, but God feels so far away from me at this time. Maybe you used to feel close to him, and maybe his presence feels so far away from you. Maybe you would say, Pastor Jeremy, what does it look like to have a relationship with God in that way, to know him in the way that you're describing? I don't, I don't even know what that would be like, but there's something in me that desires to have that kind of relationship with God. And right now we believe there's a tug on your heart. And we believe that that gentle tug on your heart is the tug of a loving God who is drawing you to himself by his spirit through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's inviting you to come home today. 
He's welcoming you as a son or daughter. And how does that happen? It happens by placing your faith in Jesus. And so I wanna invite you to do that today, online, in person, if that's you today, just to simply say, Jesus, I place my faith in you today. Come on, just pray that with me. Jesus, I place my faith in you today. I believe you are who you said you are, the son of God, that you lived for me, a sinless life on my behalf, that you went to the cross for my sins that you are resurrected to give me new life and a living hope. And I turn from my sin, pray this with me, I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you. I declare that Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today. I thank you for the promise of scripture that says your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again into the family of God, sons and daughters, never the same. We thank you for new life. We thank you for living hope in this place today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God some praise in this place today? Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.